coming up on Philosophy Talk. I am experiencing a pain in my foot, and you are looking at my somatosensory cortex and watching the neurons fire. What do neurons, neurotransmitters, and synaptic junctions have to do with thoughts, consciousness, and emotion? It isn't going to be the case that when you watch my neurons fire because of the pain in my foot, that you're going to feel pain. Why would you? The mind is just the brain working. So to understand the mind, study the brain. The intuitions that we have about the way our minds work are very often wrong. Our guest is Patricia Churchland from UC San Diego. The perception of oneself as having a completely unified consciousness is certainly something that neuroscience needs ultimately to explain. What can the science of brain teach us about how the mind works? Philosophy and neuroscience. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local and innovative public radio for San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And from there, they migrate to the air via the signals of this lovely station, and from the air to the internet via first our blog, the blog.philosophytalk.org. And now, very soon, you'll be able to download from our website the entire past and future archive of Philosophy Talk via a podcast. Go check it out. Well, that's terrific, Ken. Uh, I'll have to go download those podcasts myself. Right, you can get a bunch for your favorite philosophy talk nerd for Christmas. Ab- absolutely. Today we're talking about the mind and the brain, philosophy and neuroscience. I got a puzzle for you right away, John. Uh, just as we said in the opening, I know a lot about my mind. I know that I'm conscious. I know what my beliefs are. I know what I want. But, you know, I don't really know all that much about what's happening in my brain, especially at any given moment. How can that be? How can, the, how can I know so much about the mind and so little about the brain? Well, before I, before I delve into my deep uh, uh, wisdom about all things philosophical, <laughs> let, me, let me exacerbate the problem. I mean, we really do know a lot about our minds uh, and, and, and other people's minds, too, at least in the sense that we can, we can make people do things. Uh, we can make them think things, write things, uh, show up at various times. I can make you blurt out, would you shut up, by just continuing to talk <laughs> forever. Uh, so we seem to know a lot about how these things work, and yet we know nothing about how I they have, work. How can that be? Uh, here's a, how can that be. It, Descartes had an answer. It was a kind of intriguing answer. The mind is one thing, and the brain is another. In knowing about the mind, you're not knowing about the brain because they're no more connected than I am to Timbuktu. Well, I, I think Descartes' theory is beautiful. I love Descartes' theory. How I wish it were true, but it ain't true. There's no good philosophical argument and no good empirical argument for thinking that the brain is one thing and the mind okay, is the other. Okay, so we're stuck with our paradox. We know a lot about our minds, apparently, and we don't know nearly as much about our brains. So how is that possible? Well, here's one metaphor, or maybe it's actually a theory. Uh, take my computer, please. No, take, take my, my little uh, power book here. I really don't know anything about what goes inside this power book. I mean, it's full of chips or transistors. I don't even know whether they still use transistors or just chips and boards and wires and all that stuff. Uh, It's all hidden behind this white plastic. I don't know anything about it. And yet, I know a lot about my computer. I know how to manipulate it, use the software, send email, affect your computer. So maybe we're like that. Maybe we're good at the software of the brain, even though we don't know anything about the hardware. And you could even know how to write the software. 
program and know sort of the guts of the software without any knowing anything about the hardware. I mean, pr- many computer programmers are like that. But And I find that kind of comforting. I, I kind of wanted to be a Cartesian, and you said, nah, the brain is just a mind. But, you know, you gave me a, a, a little bit more of Cartesianism because if I know about the program, I don't care about the hardware. That's somebody else's business. So philosophy's job is to know about the software, and neuroscience can tell us about the hardware, and never the twain shall it meet. Oh, it's a great conception. Professional security in the age of neuroscience. You know, we interview Pat Churchin once a year. We've done our duty to the physical aspects of the brain. I don't know if that's going to work out. But, you know, one thing is that when your computer goes bad, when things don't work, which with my computer seems to happen fairly often, Knowing how the software works, knowing how to manipulate it through the software programs won't do. You have to take it to someone who really knows how the insides work. And so so I suppose that's true of really nutty people, too. And uh, the criminally insane. In the courtroom, these main, these mind-brain issues crop up all the time. And our roving philosophical reporter, Novella Carpenter, went and checked some of these issues out. She files this report. A hypothetical situation. A person is arrested and charged with murder. But an expert witness brings in a scan of their brain. There's abnormality. Since the 1970s, it's happened more often than you might think. As we learn more and more about the brain and how to uh, map the brain, we get more sophisticated devices. Aaron Murphy is assistant professor of law at University of California's Bolt School of Law. It's uh, inevitable, I think, that both sides of the aisle will want to use this kind of evidence either to show, yes, this defendant did it, look, he has the memories of the crime scene, look, uh, we can tell whether he's telling the truth or not, Um, even to show, as I said, that if he did perpetrate the crime, that there's some reason why we should not hold him responsible. And as we learn more about the brain, the mind, that thing that brings us reason and will and emotions, may lose control, leading to the my brain made me do it plea. So where is the line between the mind and the brain? Well, the brain is the mind. Dennis Schwersinski is a clinical neuropsychologist. He serves as an expert witness in criminal trials. I mean, the mind is, 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 is the formulation, I suppose, that, that underlies behavior. In other words, a person's behavior comes from their mind. But in fact, it comes from the brain. And whenever you see a behavior, whether, you, whether it's labeled criminal or not, you have to ask the question, what's driving the behavior? And that's something that's very tough for most people to get a handle on, in court, including judges and juries. Dr. Schwersinski told me how brain scans are used in trials. I administer a battery of tests, a set of, of psychological tests that evaluate memory functioning, judgment, attention, visual analysis ability, I mean, all sorts of domains that are known to be affected by brain injury. And then, oftentimes, we use uh, PET scans, MRI scans, anything to demonstrate that, indeed, this brain is not normal, and this is the kind of behavior that you could expect from this kind of abnormality. Attorney Murphy says this is often used in criminal cases to avoid the death penalty. Lawyers seek to introduce testimony from experts who will say, for instance, that a defendant has organic brain damage or that perhaps their emotional responses are somehow stunted or uh, not developed normally. And that's a way of convincing a jury that this individual, while they might have perpetrated a crime that otherwise seems horrendous or uh, hard to fathom, is instead operating from some kind of deficient mental problem that should give a jury a reason not to impose the ultimate sanction. The evidence of an abnormal brain throws the idea of punishment into turmoil 
according to Dr. Swarsensky. We're a retributive culture, and if someone breaks the law, we pretty much demand punishment. But the court is pretty much at a loss as to what to do. I mean, they, if the person still broke the law, and they might be prone to break the law again, what do you do? So if the brain did it, what's the mind? The mind is what people like to think of as their independence. Their independence of reason and choice, making choices, and their uniqueness, their, their, their self. However, who you are, what you believe, how you process uh, judgment and reasoning depends upon the condition of your brain. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Novella Carpenter. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.